and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 161. I am your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing the original series, second season episodes, Amok Time, Who Mords for Adonai, and The Changeling. Here we go. Amok Time, Season 2, Episode 1, Production Code 034. Original air date, September 15, 1967. Directed by Joseph Pevney, written by Theodore Sturgeon, music composed by Gerald Freed. Guest cast include Celia Lofsky as T'Pau, Arlene Martell as T'Pring, Lawrence Montaigne as Stan, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Byron Morrow as Admiral Comac, and Frank Da Vinci as Vulcan Ceremonial Aid. Spock starts exhibiting irrational behavior and requests that he be taken to his home planet of Vulcan. Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy, having witnessed one of his outbursts, agree and divert the ship to Vulcan. En route, Kirk Kirk receives orders from Starfleet to travel to Altar to represent the Federation at the inauguration ceremony for the planet's new president. Though Kirk instructs the crew to set course to Altar, Spock secretly changes course back to Vulcan. Kirk confronts Spock, who claims to have no memory of ordering the course change. But you're not a fish, Mr. Spock. You're... No. Nor am I a man. I'm a Vulcan. I'd hoped I would be spared this. But the ancient drives are too strong. Eventually, they catch up with us. We are driven by forces we cannot control. To return home. Amok Time, a relatively minor episode in, in Star Trek. <laughs> Nobody remembers this one. No, in, no influence. Uh, no, um, it's a pretty amazing episode. Um, gave us everything about the Vulcans. We all love it, I'm sure. Uh, Steve, you thought my joke was funny, so why don't you go first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh well it's it's great. It's iconic and uh entertaining. Um so much going on there and uh you know it, it's a really a great episode to start the second season too. I mean, we you know, in the, for the first time in the credits we have uh um DeForest Kelly in there um and then this episode has all the three included and they're all involved and it uh shows that Spock and McCoy have a bond as well, you know, in, in addition to Spock and Kirk, and they're good friends, and so they're all involved in this. We get insight into Spock's character. We get to be on Vulcan for the only time in the series. There's just there's a lot of lot of good stuff, and it's entertaining, fun. You get the history and um, interact the relationships and the characters. Oh, che- che- you know, Chekhov's first episode, and you have uh, and Chekhov's wigs first episode. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, he and Sulu have interactions, which kind of becomes uh, a thing in the series as well. And that starts right away, too. So it's really just a great way to start a, a season um, in a lot of ways. Adam, your first thoughts? Um, yeah, I'd pretty much agree with Steve. He's kind of hit, he hit all the notes um, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, you're watching this, it's, it's kind of hard to... You, you kind of already know this through, you know, if you've watched Star Trek for as many years as all of us have, but it's... I know I mentioned this several times when we did the first season. It's always cool to see where a lot of these things first started. Obviously, the the Pumphar, you know, we learn about the, the mating rituals of Vulcans and, you know, how they kind of, you know, go crazy. Um, it was, I, I thought it was, 
even to this day, it's kind of a clever way to do things, you know, because Spock does a good job of explaining to Kirk what what it means. You know, he kind of uses um, salmon and some other creatures who are instinctively drawn to go back to um, their place of birth or that kind of thing. So it kind of, from a layman's term, it makes it it makes it make more sense to somebody who who doesn't know much about biology or different species or, or things like that. And it's kind of to me, it's a unique way to kind of have a contrast with Vulcans because we so far we've kind of seen them as this straight laced species who is logical and unemotional and um. You know, um, there's that line um, when Kirk says to Spock, even, I guess we sometimes forget even Vulcans aren't um, indestructible. And, you know, obviously we see Spock turn when they, when Kirk leaves, no, and he's like, no, we're not. It was, it was kind of a nice poignant moment. You know, we see the vulnerabilities and the cracks of um, the Vulcan race. Yeah, the entire concept of Ponfar is, is, is such a cool, like, Vulcan construction. I mean, it, it's it's alien, but... Like you said, it has these these references that we can understand. Yeah, it's funny that uh, that that the episode is so good and brings so much to Vulcan culture that you you almost skip over the fact that it's Chekhov's first appearance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, according to Khan, he's been there. He was there in the first season. <laughs> oh, that's right. He just got transferred to the bridge between seasons one and two. Right, right, right. I really do like that scene uh, where Spock is kind of explaining things to Kirk. There, there's so much between you know with their relationship where. You know, at first, Spock doesn't have to, he just basically have to say, say, you know, trust me, I need this. And Kirk's like, okay, uh, we're going to Vulcan until, you know, then he gets, com- you know, ordered otherwise. Uh, and then he needs more from, from Spock. But, you know, Spock makes it clear that he's not comfortable talking about it, that Vulcans don't talk about it with outsiders, but that he's, that he does it for Kirk. Yeah. We see how meaningful the relationship is to Kirk, too. I mean, he basically, you know, he puts his whole career on the line to, you know. Yeah, he literally says that. I own my life a dozen times over. Isn't that worth a career? Um, you know, that, that's one of the, the things about that. I, I, I guess I've watched this episode so many times. Unlike a lot of the other episodes, like I have so many lines of this for this episode uh, memorized, you know. Um, I, I don't know. Um, live long and, and prosper, Spock. And he said, I shall do neither. I have killed my captain and my friend. Like, I know those lines so well. Yeah. You know, the, the fight scene is so iconic, too. It's somewhat amusing, but it's poignant, it too, too. Well, it's it's amusing because it's some of the worst who's that guy ever. I mean, the, the, oh, yeah. the, the Spock double doesn't even have Nimoy's build. Like, he's... <laughs> he doesn't... Well, it doesn't make sense at all. Well, I always, I always laugh when when Kirk gets his, you know, when he when he slices through his shirt and there's just that look on his face. I mean, Shatner's got some, you know, great um, mm-hmm. <laughs> reaction looks. I love Shatner's like exhausted breathing whenever McCoy comes over to him. I know it's supposed to be the air, the oxygen is thin or whatever, but <sighs> it's great. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I, I, I mean, I joke, but I seriously mean it. I think <laughs> it's great. <laughs> And the music, of course, uh, we we always give short shrift to the music, and I don't. We don't mean to do that, folks. It's one of the things people have emailed, and, and you're right. We should definitely spend more time talking about the music. Well, the music in this episode, amazing, and uh, of course that fight music is so iconic. And I believe, as of this recording, what's his first name? Gerald Freed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Gerald Freed. I think he's the only composer of the original series that's still alive. He's really old, but. I think he's, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Yeah, he and his wife live in Arizona or something. Yeah, I mean, of course, and then these scenes have been parodied 
parodied quite a bit throughout the years. I mean, I still think a cable guy when I watch this episode. Yeah, at, the, at medieval times. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite right? parodies of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like the new VFX shots. Kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You can tell it's an early. It's funny because they, you know, because they did the new VFX. They 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 did the episodes by popularity. So like they did the more popular ones first. Mm-hmm. So like the less popular episodes, they were getting good at what they were doing. So that like the earlier ones are even more like simple. So this one, it is kind of simple and there's not a lot to it. That like the really wide shot when they first beam onto the planet, but it's still it's still cool. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of course of. Um, director's edition with the new effects they did for the first movie for when they're on Vulcan. I haven't watched that in a long time since they never they never did that in HD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think they're ever going to do that, people. <laughs> it's never going to happen. There's, yeah, there's, there's so... This thing is so full of all these Vulcan cultural tropes, and, and, and it, it's so chock full. You know, it's, it's crazy to think of all these things came to us from this one episode um theodore sturgeon wrote this one right mm-hmm. uh he he was a very he was kind of well known for being slow and uh the i think the in nbc originally wanted this for the first season when the story was pitched but because Spock was such a popular character uh but he took so long that they finally just scrapped it and saved it for season two and of course, it doesn't have that much actual effects work. So even though it was shot a little bit later, it's probably why they, one of the reasons they were able to premiere season two with it. But yeah, it's just it's just so good. There's so many great things about it, this episode. Freaky, just just something as simple as live long and prosper. Yeah. You know, <laughs> coming from here, and and the the Vulcan salute. It's an episode that uh, doesn't age for me, other than the extreme. Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> has your guys's view of this episode changed as you've aged i'm wondering how it compares to how you felt about it when you were younger i don't know that when i was younger i appreciated the the gravity of that of 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 all it's introducing you know i mean i just I, you know i kind of i kind of um understood trek lore and all the history behind everything as time went on, I didn't like, you know, know all the facts and coming. It was just another episode. You know, I knew it was good. It was entertaining and it you know, enjoyable to watch. But, you know, over time, realizing all the, all those uh, things that it introduces and uh, and how well it holds up over time. I mean, I think I think I, it just got better and better. I mean, yeah, if anything, it's got better. I mean, I, I watched it you know, this time and it's like, wow, this is entertaining. This is good. I'm enjoying this. Look at all, you know, I mean, it certainly didn't, didn't go down for me in, in, uh, in, uh, value in any way. I'd agree. I'd agree. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, definitely a great episode. Still great. Um, like I said, you mentioned the, the new effects. I think they kind of enhanced it as well. It made it a little, even a little bit better. Yeah. I'll remember that, uh, Spock smiling. <laughs> Jim. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it, it, it's great because it works, and it—I it, mean, it—it it makes sense for the character. Like <laughs> this is the one time, that ever so briefly, he—he he can't contain himself. <laughs> um, I wonder—I wonder if a full-blooded Vulcan would have smiled there. Right. His uh, human half <laughs> gets in there, but you know, this is the kind of thing you got to imagine, like. Is he like so upset with himself that he that he's gonna leave and 
go stay on Vulcan and try and go through that. What's the name of that ceremony where you purge all emotion like he's in the first movie? Oh, yes, yes. Um, the Culinar. or I'm thinking yeah. something else. Yeah, the Culinar. You know, it's like, I smiled. I was, they, humans saw me smile. <laughs> <laughs> What's this episode about? Um, a lot of it has to do with friendship and loyalty. Um, you know, I, I thought with um, Kirk, Kirk's friendship and what, um, what Spock means to him. Um, I, I thought it was the main part. I mean, you could you could probably find a few other things that this episode's about, but um, to me, that's what this episode meant most about. And I guess kind of just standing by, um, you know, the ones that um, you know, you care most about. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the crux of it because, you know, Kirk's, you know, when he realizes the, you know, the gravity of the situation, how significant this is, he's gonna do anything, whatever it takes, to get him there, regardless of destroying his career or whatever else takes the whole ship and then and obviously with um, Spock's reaction in the end you know how much he values him you know as a friend and how you know you, you realize how devastating it must be even 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 with him being half Vulcan and you know trying to stay stoic of the whole about the whole thing how, how significant it was that he thought he killed him and all that you know and so it's their their bond and so yeah it's 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 about the what you'll do for friendship, what you'll do for the people closest to you, I think. This is a, a fantastic episode, but it's, as we've been talking about to us Star Trek nuts, its importance as a fantastic episode is equal to its importance as a, you know, important episode to the to the lore of Star Trek. Even if it wasn't your favorite, uh, it would have to be on the, the short list of episodes that you would have to watch to understand Star Trek, I think. Yeah. You know, if you love Star Trek, that that alone is reason to love it. But it also happens to be a fantastic episode. It also happens to be an episode where you can really see how brilliant Leonard Nimoy is. And it's so easy to take that for granted because we've seen him be brilliant many times over. But he has to so commit himself to some, to some weird stuff in this episode, you know. And he pulls it off. Just don't bring him soup if he's having a bad day. I think we learned. <laughs> Especially purple soup. Let's do six degrees for a muck time. Um, Adam. Yes. Lawrence Montaigne plays Ston. We last saw him play Decius in the first season in the episode Balance of Terror. Name Decius's species. Romulan. That's correct. Steve. Mm-hmm. Arlene Martell plays Tapring, Spock's betrothed. She was originally considered to play... A doctor in One No Man Has Gone Before, but she didn't want to wear the silver contact lenses. Name the character she turned down. Mm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, it's a tough one. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, shoot. It seems like it's one of on the tip of my tongue. I'm not getting it. Adam? Oh, I don't remember the doctor's name either. Doctor? Elizabeth Daner. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Who Mourns for Adonai, Season 2, Episode 2, Production Code 033. Original air date, September 22, 1967. Directed by Mark Daniels, written by Gilbert Ralston and Gene L. Kuhn. Music composed by Fred Steiner. Guest cast include Michael Forrest as Apollo, Leslie Paris as Lieutenant Carolyn Palamas, John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, and Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley. (laughs) 
A huge energy field in the shape of a glowing green hand appears and grabs the Enterprise while on a routine planet survey. Halting the ship's movement, a humanoid apparition appears on the bridge view screen and addresses the ship's crew. Kurt demands the ship be set free, but the being responds by tightening the grip, threatening to crush the ship. Kurt then leads a landing party. The team arrives in what appears to be ancient garden from Mount Olympus, where they encounter the humanoid who identifies himself as the god Apollo. My children, long have I waited for this moment. The memories you bring of your lush and beautiful earth, green fields and blue skies, the simple shepherds and their flocks. You know of earth? You've been there? Once I stretched out my hand and earth trembled and I breathed upon it and spring returned. Uh, Adam, why don't you kick us off on who mourns for Adonai? You know something? I actually, this is one of the few times that I actually think I like this episode better now than way back when. I kind of think that too, although it doesn't, But although I'm not saying I love it, but... No, I wouldn't say it's like, you know, the most excellent episode ever, but yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it more now than I did before. I The concept's interesting to me, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, Greek mythology and what if... Um, what if there were actual beings and, you know, so the concept is just kind of fascinating to me. And I think that's kind of what I, I enjoyed about it. Um, um, you know, there's some, the hand is kind of goofy. There's some goofiness in this episode that I don't think holds up the effects for one, even though they, you know, tried to fix them with the, with the new, with, with the new stuff. It, to me, it just, it still didn't quite hold up. Um, the glowing hand coming out of the planet was kind of silly. Um, but, you know, I thought it was an inter- interesting story. It was well-paced, um, and I, I enjoyed the concept. There are some, um, well, flat-out sex- sexist things in here that have not aged well. One of McCoy says something like about uh, the she a lieutenant, I think. One of these days she'll find the right man, and then she'll <laughs> get out of the service. <laughs> she'll settle down and get out of the service. And then I think uh, Apollo says to her, you seem wise for a woman. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, her her character wasn't the string, you know, she just kind of completely fell for it. She wasn't a, a strong character. Steve, uh you watched this uh episode with your spouse. Uh what did she think of those lines? Actually, actually we I didn't watch it with a spouse, but uh <laughs> but yeah, it is funny. It, I mean, it's I mean, it's because you wanted your spouse to actually continue watching the show. You right, said right. It wouldn't yeah, it'd be like the one episode I show. Let me show you a Star Trek, see what this is like, see what you'll like, enjoy this, you know? It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's crazy with the sexism stuff. But um, you know what I remember um, is this one and the, and the next one, they go back to back. And I remember watching, um, I, I went in, in, uh, when I was in college, I watched with my watched the, like the whole series with my roommate once who didn't know much about Star Trek. And I think we caught pretty much every episode in a row. And both of these make Scotty look absurd. Yeah. You know, that's what I remember yeah. about this. It's just how just, just, just charges off his rocker he is. Like, you get your hands, you know, it's just, it's just so stupid, you know, get there. I mean, run at this guy who's going to just, could kill me with waving his pinky at me, you know? And I wrote, I actually wrote from a different point of, from a different point of view, some, I wrote, uh, Lamo Scotty worrying about Lieutenant while she makes out with Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of emasculating, you know I mean? <laughs> uh, I also wrote, 
that uh, Scotty should Scotty should quit bringing his Play-Doh phaser on away missions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to tell Steve, it was kind of funny. I, I kept thinking he was going to die in this episode. I was like, didn't he die? And then he brings him back, but that's the next one. That's the, the next change, one, yeah. The changeling. So I was just like, you know, he just keeps continuing. and he's got. So I guess in, in a way it's kind of a continuance because it gets worse and worse for him each time he makes an outburst. <laughs> it just continues into the next episode. He finally dies. Well, it's consistent writing for the character, right? And so that's good. Um, yeah. There's also that kind of odd line where they basically acknowledge that Kirk is a believing monotheist, essentially, because yes. he, yeah, that's interesting. They just, he just mankind has no need for gods. We find the one quite adequate. Right, yeah, I right. had that down too. That's the one few. Well, it's few not just that... Kirk. It's it's Star Trek in general, and I'm honestly I'm a little surprised that Gene Roddenberry was okay with that line. Hey, whether you, whatever, I'm not you know I'm not saying anything actually about religion. I'm just talking about Gene Roddenberry. I'm surprised that he, knowing how he was, was okay with that line. Well, there are very few references to God to me in all, in all of Star Trek. Yeah, but this is a very Star- clear one. Excluding Star Trek V, but yeah, this is, it was very clear. I noted that too. Apollo has no... Like, there, there's the scene uh, where I think that the lieutenant is with Apollo, and then they cut away from there, and Kirk says something like... Maybe I wrote this down wrong. Apollo has no difficulty. He taps that (laughs) energy, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It seems seems like, you know, when I research, I don't, I I can't be sure of this, but now that I think about it, it seems like when I used to read a lot of the uh, fiction novels, that there was something about (laughs) some reference that this lieutenant ultimately had like Apollo's baby or something in one of these stories. I read something yeah, so like that. That was the, in the original script, it ends with McCoy telling Kirk that she is pregnant with uh, Apollo's baby. Um, and then the network said no to that script. And in James, you know, James Blish did all those novelizations his novelization, he went back to the original script. I think he was writing the novelization before it got changed. So in his novelization, it does end with that sequence of um, of McCoy telling Kirk that she's present with, pregnant with his baby, and he doesn't know if that means it's going to be a human baby or a little god baby. <laughs> and Scotty would volunteer to raise it with her or something. Yeah. Right, yeah. Lame-o, Scotty. <laughs> also negates McCoy's theory that she would just go off and get married and leave the service. You know, I think my be- I think my favorite line in the um th- in this episode was McCoy at the end. He's like, I'm, so- you know, I wish we didn't have to do that. I don't know why. I don't know. I just uh, kind of was unexpected. Which line now? The end of the episode. McCoy said, you know, he he said he wished they didn't have to do that. Um, they wish they didn't have to kill him, so they could have found out more. I'm curious if this um if this would have been more of a, a modern Star Trek, if it would have been better, if it would have been flushed flushed out more, the uh, character Apollo and the effect they had on humankind. I don't know. Well, I think this episode, it's kind of deceptive because it, if you just glance, like if you just watch the trailer for it or something, you know, to a, to a, to a younger me, like last time I, the mock time I asked, how's it changed for you? And, um, Adam, you started this conversation by saying you like this more now than you did when you was, when you were younger. To me, I, I remember this episode when I was younger like they play it off like it's a big special effectsy episode, you know. You've got the green hand, you've got the shots of Apollo, you know, super huge standing in front of uh, Kirk, 
Um, you've got all the you know, like the lightning and stuff as they're and they're shooting photon torpedoes down at the structure and you know all that kind of stuff and it so it, it in, in a short simple way it plays like it's something like that and if that's if you're young and that's what you're watching it for this special effectsy kind of thing that's not what this episode is at all you know it's totally um just a, more of a talky episode about um well we'll get to what it's about but it's not it's not an action episode it's not an fx episode and i think you know that that's why you can appreciate this more as you get a little older I remember when I was a teenager, I only saw select original series episodes, but I remember seeing Metamorphosis, for example, and thinking it was the most boring thing ever. And then when I really got into the original series in my early 20s, you know, for many years, Metamorphosis was my favorite episode. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because I think I think they do what gets tiresome is there's all they kind of get on a on a one note thing where he's just like referencing the all his god friends and name dropping like he does and carrying on and on and it's just that kind of gets old and i think it could have benefited from uh, as adam kind of alluded to there that um this notion of the um i mean you know ultimately it comes down to they they have to they're not going to be enslaved so you know you have to do it all, all you can to get out of that but I do like the I do like the ending. I think that's one of the best things about it because you get that moment of melancholy and regret of you know it's 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 unfortunate it had to go down like this because essentially you know there's so much culture that came about because of this relationship and and that makes it you know that makes the whole thing kind of ambiguous right I mean essentially what he wanted to do would would be in, enslave them in a, in a fashion but there is a part of them that you know it's you know it's such, it's such an important part of the the culture and and you, and you and you kind of you feel bad for him i mean there's there's a loneliness factor and so on so i mean if they would have somehow contributed more time to building that up as opposed to just some of the carry on with the same kind of thing over and over and over again yeah. you know throughout the episode it could have benefited i think yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, I think you kind of you were more eloquently put down when I was talking about. It. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. You know, because they kind of go back. You're gonna stay here and worship me. No, we're not. You're gonna stay here and you know. And there's a lot of that back and forth in this episode. And I, like I said, I think if this was a say a next gen episode, I don't know, or something. You know, you I I don't, I don't know. It would have been it would have been more interesting to have more character. Um, I don't know. More, more of the Apollo character of who he was because he was very, to me, he was kind of very one-dimensional in this episode. Yeah. And like I said, I think, the, think the thing I like most about this episode is the concept, and um, I think it just kind of, it's just kind of flat. You know? Well, it's a cool, it's a cool concept that these aliens came when humans were more primitive, and of course, uh, humans saw them like gods, and and then it became part of the culture. That's a really cool concept. I remember that. The Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich movie from was it '94? Stargate. I mean that you know that was the same kind of thing except they went to you know ancient Egypt. That, that's a that's a cool concept. Kurt gets to that realization very quickly, but it's you know it is cool, and that's like enshrined in Star Trek now. That's where the Greek gods came from. <laughs> What's this episode about? Um, it's hard to flesh out. I mean, I guess you could say you know it's about the 
origins of culture and the evolution of culture, you know, maybe, you know, outgrowing, outgrowing your deities. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like you can't go back, you know, you can, that you can't go home thing a little in a way, you know, the, he, uh, he wants to just, well, let's go, let's pretend like it was how it was and all this kind of thing. And, um, you know, maybe part of, uh, the L- Lieutenant Palamas, maybe part of her was keen on that notion, but none of the others, you know, they, they weren't interested at all. But I think ultimately, while we sometimes um, have a um, urge to go back to childhood or to how the way things were, ultimately people people grow and change and we rarely can go back to that. Innocence lost. <laughs> Adonis lost. Let's do six degrees for who mourns for Adonai. Uh, what was our score? Um, Adam has one, Steve has none. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. All right. This isn't necessarily a fair question for me to ask, but I'm asking it anyway. <laughs> Michael Forrest plays Apollo. In 2012, he returned to this role in what Star Trek fan series? So you don't have to name the actual individual episode of the Star Trek fan series, but if you just tell me the name of the whole fan series, that would that that'll be a sufficient answer. The only thing I'm familiar with in recent history with the whole fan stuff is that Axanar thing. Um, so I guess I'll throw that out as an answer because that's the only thing I know about. No, Adam. No clue. Star Trek continues. All right. Cool. Sorry, I, I realize that wasn't necessarily a fair question because uh, this is that's not canon, of course. But I did think it was cool that you know he came back and played that role again in his 80s uh, for that fan episode. Yeah, that is neat. Did you see the episode? Uh, I watched like a clip from it. I, I'd be honest, I, I, I've tried a couple of times to watch fan episodes and I find them difficult to watch. I totally respect them and I respect anybody that loves them. And I think it's cool that they make them, but they're they're just not really for me. But um, I did watch a clip just so I could see him, because that was cool. Uh, Adam? Yeah. John Winston returns as Lieutenant Kyle. In how many episodes did he play Kyle? And I think I asked this question already. Gosh darn it. I just, as I'm reading it out loud, I'm like, I think I asked this before. Okay, well, uh, is it 5, 8, or 11? Um, 5. No. Um, should I give Steve a shot because there's only two left? That doesn't seem fair. I usually don't, do I? Usually don't, no. All right, let's not. Uh, the answer is 11. Adam has one. Steve has none. We are moving on. The Changeling, Season 2, Episode 3, Production Code 037, Original Air Date, September 29, 1967, Directed by Mark Daniels, Written by John Meredith Lucas, Music Composed by Fred Steiner. Guest cast include Blaisdell Maki as Singh, Arnold Lessing as Security Guard, Vic Perrin as Voice of Nomad, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Mead Martin as Crewman, Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley, and Frank Da Vinci as Lieutenant Brent. The Enterprise investigates a distress call from the Marion star system. Upon arrival, Spock reports that all life in the system has been destroyed, including the Federation science team that was on the planet. Suddenly, the Enterprise's shields activate as it is being attacked with an energy bolt equivalent to 90 photon torpedoes. Kirk orders return fire, but the ship's energy is simply absorbed by the other ship. 
Kirk then transmits a hail and the object stops firing. Curiously, the object responds and requests an in-person communication with the captain. I admit that biological units are imperfect, but a biological unit created you. I am perfect. I am nomad. No, you're not nomad. You're an alien machine. Your programming tapes have been altered. You are in error. You are a biological unit. You are imperfect. The changeling. I always thought, like, the title of this episode is weird. Like, it doesn't connect with what the episode is for me. It's one of the few times I feel that way. Um, I guess it, maybe there's, what's that? there's like a horror movie with um, George C. Scott. Is that right? Remember that? The Changeling? No. Yeah. I'm the only person who saw that movie. Uh, but anyway, uh, the name of this episode is weird. Um, well, even Kirk's explanation doesn't even make sense. Was it the fairy boy that he talks about? The, the fairy yeah. child? Yeah, it didn't even make sense to me what he was talking about with the Changeling. But anyway, go ahead. This 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 is the episode that it's it's it seems so um, whether it was intentional or not and I probably was uh, it seems so clear that like the first movie is I mean this is the story to the first movie yeah except the the size of the probe is is micro in this movie whereas so so in this movie the probe comes in the Enterprise and in the motion picture the Enterprise goes inside the probe yeah something's going inside the other thing you know it's the same <laughs> whatever. Oh, and also it is a little bit sexist again. That unit is a woman, a mass of conflicting impulses. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like uh, the sexism part two, Scotty being crazy <laughs> part two. It's kind of just, it's just might as well be a part two of the last one, you know, in a way. It's, yeah, that, that, whole, that whole Ahura storyline was just weird to me. You know, they wiped her memory, but... I have a vague memory, uh, Steve... When we were kids, uh, I don't know, teens, maybe it was 20s? I don't remember. One of the times I came back, but I have a vague memory. There are only a couple episodes I remember watching but I, with you and uh, your friends and brother and stuff. But I remember this one, and I remember us just, like, crying. We would laugh so hard at some of the Uhura stuff. Like, you know, that she's like, see the dog run. That's it, Uhura. That's very good. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 ludicrous, and of course, it doesn't make sense. a bit of sense. This this whole let's oh, it's just wipe wipe the data, so let's hurry up and re-educate her. You know, great. You know, that's easy enough. You know, and what about her memories? Yeah, yeah it's, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, I halfway thought that you know the mind meld Spock was going to give her back her memories because it's been so long since I've seen the episode. But no, no, they're just going to re-educate her. It, you know, you go from a muck time, and then you have. Who mourns for Adonai and... There's definitely a slope here. And the changeling. And then I think the next episode is Mirror, Mirror, right? That's right, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't... Hey, I don't hate the changeling, and I and I already said that I thought Who, Who Mourns for Adonai was better than I remembered it. But, it, you know, Amok Time and Mirror, Mirror are, are fantastic episodes, and they've got these kind of in the middle that are pretty different. Adam? How do you feel about this episode? Um, I, I came to the same conclusions that you did. You know, this is pretty much um, the most from picture. And, uh, and I, know, I know I said this for the last episode. I, I like the concept. It's just the execution of the concept of this episode that, to me, is not very good. You know, it's kind of, it's interesting to think about, you know, these probes that we send out. You know, I believe this one was the first um, interstellar probe. 
obviously the the Voyager ones from um, Motion Picture were you know those are obviously real probes that are actually still working. But the concept is is cool. You know, we send these things out, and you know they're go out to search for you know information or collect information, and for some reason or another they they get manipulated by another being and they become all powerful and they return to earth looking for the creator. Um, it's, um, like I said, it's an interesting concept. I think they pulled it off a little bit better in the motion picture than they did in this episode. Well, they had a little bit more money for true. one thing. This is true. A few more special effects. You know, I never heard anything about it, but the guy that write this get anything, I mean, you know, cause it's so much the same. You think like in this day and age, for example, that guy could easily sue and get some credit on the first motion picture. You know what I'm saying? I never, ever heard anything official about the motion picture being any sort of remake for this. So I don't think so. But you're right. Like, if if this happened nowadays, he would have just sued. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, he would have been smart. He wouldn't have said a word until the movie was, like, finished. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So he wouldn't change anything. For Christmas, I got my son the... Mega blocks with the Enterprise bridge. They're basically like knockoff Legos. It's like the Enterprise bridge, and it came with the several actual characters, and it came with Nomad. Oh, neat! Like I, I kind of uh, maybe uh, my son uh, maybe didn't end up with that little Nomad Lego, and uh, that might actually be in my glass case in my office. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and someday, if he ever listens to this episode. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just ended up there. You have no idea. Yeah. Well, maybe your son gave it to you, and you just. That's probably it. yes. That's probably what happened. <laughs> um, so it's actually a really cool little Lego-y nomad action figure thingy. That's pretty neat. That's probably my favorite thing about this episode is that it gave me that half a century later. I'm sure, a lot of dumb red shirts in this one. I mean, oh, you yeah, know, getting right. killed right and left, and uh, like they, they pro, you think they'd put like a standing order out, you know, like hey, don't shoot, don't him. like try shooting it or aim at it or anything because <laughs> it'll, it'll just like microwave you into oblivion. So you know, <laughs> just FYI, <Yeah. laughs> just watch it. Don't interfere with it. This has happened a couple of times, so. You know, it seems to be a pattern. Probably avoid standing in front of it three feet away and shooting it. <laughs> well, well, it's episodes like this where we get the red shirt concept. So. Yeah. I like some of the shots, the low angle shots of the probe. Those were kind of interesting. There's like a handheld shot when the probe is leaving the bridge. How often in Star Trek, the original series, do we get handheld shots? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember what was it? The first couple episodes, they did a few handheld shots and they did two of them in this episode. They did two of those um, handheld, low-angle handheld shots. I was surprised with the new effects, and maybe this was just too much time and money, but I was surprised since they were doing new effects work that they didn't paint out the wires, because I always remember seeing the wires that Nomad is hanging on. I mean, there's a few shots where they, it's just compositionally, it's been cropped out, but there are definitely shots, especially like the, the wire above it, you know, on the top, there's definitely shots where you see the wire plain as day. So I'm surprised they didn't just go ahead and paint that out since they were doing no effects anyway. You should, like, uh, run it across like a piece of dental floss or something in your place there, your little Lego model or not Lego. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or some, you know, Kirk talks him to death again. Time-honored tradition. Yep. An yep. imperfect being created you. Everything that is an error must be sterilized. I made an error in creating you. Wait a minute. If Wait, is that the line? Because wouldn't that imply that Kirk should be sterilized? Maybe I wrote it down wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, no, he was a, he he mistaken Kirk for his creator. That's that was. Yeah, he's just gambling that the thing's gonna like self destruct because it's so confused before sure. he gets a chance to shoot anybody else. God, is there anything? Is there something? <laughs> give me something on this one. I just um, not got nothing here. It's not like it, this is not a bad ep. This is not a bad episode. Um, it's just kind of um, it has some stuff that we don't care for. That's kind of silly, like the who are bits. It seems most notable for having an incredibly similar story to the the motion picture made, you know, over a decade later. The title doesn't make sense for the... the title doesn't yeah. really make sense. I like the little bit with, um, you know, that Spock is well-ordered and how he kind of has this look, you know, you know, and when he, when he says, this one's well-ordered, you know, Nomad says to Kirk. And... <laughs> how well did you guys remember this episode? I mean, other than the Uhura bits. I think I remember it pretty well. Yeah. yeah, pretty well, yeah. Like, when this one starts, and there's no response from some distant outpost, we're like, yep, this is the Changeling. Well, I already knew what we were getting ready to watch, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how quickly I would have got it if I was going in cold or something like that, you know what I'm saying? But once I... Once like okay this little tiny thing they're gonna be it on you know then it then it would have hit me yeah you know if there's something that's small but massive with a lot of power i, I would have remembered at that point yeah what is this episode about the dangers of technology i don't know that might be kind of a stretch hmm. don't jump a probe i'm not sure really i mean i guess one could talk about how run the risk you send something out there you run the risk I, I i'm just making up stuff i'm totally making up stuff there there yeah I, I can't really come up with anything it's i know you I, yeah i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's bad or something but it's it's you know mediocre i, I can't really come up with a, a lesson here or anything it's funny i at first blush the changeling doesn't seem bad or it certainly doesn't seem like worse than who mourns yet we seem to find positive things about who mourns, and it sounds like we, all three of us, do not care for this episode and are not into the changeling. I mean, no, no, I'd agree. I'd agree with both of you. I didn't hate it for. I didn't hate this episode. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. It's it's mediocre. Like I said, um, you know, the the best part about this episode that I like is the concept, and um, whether or not this episode is the basis for the motion picture, I think they fl- they flushed out the flaws that they're from this episode and, and, and it was a positive in the motion picture. Cause if you look in the motion picture, the, you know, the probe wanted to know its maker, not destroy it. And so that gives, you know, if we ever do a podcast on the motion picture, we can speak more clearly about what they were trying to say, as opposed to this one, you know, that it, there doesn't, there's not a lot of wiggle room. I mean, this, this mechanism or this machine is just out to destroy, neutralize everything, you know, organic. So it doesn't really give you a lot to, you know, talk about, you know, it's kind of evil. You know? I think if we ever do a podcast on the motion picture, we'll spend 90 minutes saying, this is just a remake of The Changeling. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 90 minutes. Uh, all right, let's do six degrees for The Changeling. Uh, Adam has one. Steve has none. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Kirk talks computers to death in three other episodes. Name one. Yeah, uh, Nomad never came back and guest starred as another character, so I got nothing for the traditional <laughs> six degrees. 
So these are just like trivia questions. Yeah, Kirk talks computers to death in three other episodes. Name one. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm trying to... Um, Should I give you a hint? You want a hint? Well, maybe. The first two words of one of them is the return. The return of the Archons. Very good. Uh, I also had iMud and the Ultimate Computer on my list. Adam, what language does Uhura revert to after her mind is wiped? Is it Swahili? You are correct. Uh, Adam has two, Steve has one. Adam wins for the day. Wow. Very good, very good. Did you guys see that little, uh, gosh, it was like two minutes long or something, the little trailer for production has begun on yeah. Star Trek Discovery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you watch it, Adam? I have not seen it yet. I'll check it out. It's you don't have to. There's like nothing in it. Um, it's only exciting from the point of view. They're like, that's how big Star Trek is. They put out a trailer the week that they start shooting, just to say, we started shooting. How many shows do that? You know? Have they? Is there a release date? I think the last show we did. Nope. They pushed it. Nope. They have. They pushed it, and they they have not given it a start date. So so what's the deal? Are they, are they gonna be? Is this? Are they gonna finish all the episodes before they release any? Is that? Is this how this is gonna work? Or no, I don't think so. They were gonna. It was. It was supposed to be released on the CBS All Access one per week on a weekly basis. So it could be done in a more traditional way, where they could start airing it before the season is complete. But this was the first time they've delayed it a couple of times, and each time they gave it a new date. This time they didn't give it a new date. So who knows? But they're definitely shooting, and that video shows basically nothing. Um, but. Uh, you know. So what's it going to be? It's going to be what, like twelve episodes the first season? Is that what? It's not going to be like twenty. Right. I think 25. it's more. Yeah, like twelve, sixteen at most, something like that. But I'm sure we'll get all the details very, very soon. <laughs> Yay! All right, folks. Thank you for spending an hour with us. Uh, I am looking forward to a couple weeks from now when we discuss Mirror Mirror and a couple more episodes. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. If you leave a review on iTunes, just give us some stars. That always helps people find us, so that would be great. Until next time, take it easy. Good night, guys. See you. I passed it.